Good morning, everyone, and welcome to those on Zoom. Just a reminder that this Sunday will be the last Sunday that we'll be using Zoom as our platform for a live feed. We'll be going to YouTube, uh, YouTube Live, which will be recorded on our YouTube channel later on for those that miss it live. Looking forward to that next Sunday. We're starting a new series uh, called Descending on Daniel. We're looking at the book of Daniel next little while. Why Daniel? Well, I've got three reasons. First of all, Daniel and his friends show us how to thrive in a culture that is diametrically opposed to what we believe and how we live as Jesus followers. These guys had convictions standing straight and tall in a crooked generation. We need that. If any time we need that, it's in our day. Second, Daniel's book accurately describes 2,500 years of world history before it even happens. The rise and fall of four different empires, it is so accurate and detailed that critics have tried to dismiss it as a fraud. Now, wouldn't you say that we could count on the inspiration of a book like that, that is so accurate people thought it was made up after the account? Well, I think we can trust. As a matter of fact, Jesus to call Daniel a prophet, and, and, and if we have Jesus' vote, that's good enough for me. Well, third, we are living at the end of the age, and Daniel's prophecies tell us much of what is yet to come. Daniel is to the Old Testament what Revelation is to the New. At the same time, Daniel is the key to Revelation in many ways. The, time, the times of the Gentiles is almost over, and Daniel's 70th week is just around the corner, which means that Jesus is coming back again, and he's coming back soon. Amen. So that's why the book of Daniel, but I think for, for the most part, the reason I want to look at the book of Daniel is because Daniel was thrust into a culture that wasn't his own. He was, he was pressured to live uh, apart from God and away from God and away from being godly and yet he stood strong and remained faithful to his God. We need that today because there are all kinds of pressures. Just to give you a little context of how serious the battle is, I want to share with you the latest statistics, a survey that was done um, as to what evangelical Christians believe is highlighted uh, this year. Um, in, in, um, it's, it's called a State of Theology Survey. And it was released just a couple of weeks ago by Legionnaire Ministries and Lifeway Research. Evangelical is the sur in the survey is defined as uh, by beliefs and church attendance. So uh, b believing cer a certain um, way and attending a certain denomination or a certain church that is considered evangelical. And so those people surveyed were identified as evangelical by those two criteria. Now, there were six things here that I picked out that are absolutely um, stunning. Like, I, I can hardly believe this, that evangelical believers, followers of Jesus, would believe like this. Number one, the Bible is not literally true. Percentage who agree that the Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts and of ancient myths, but is not literally true. How many evangelicals believe that? 26% of those following Jesus 
considered to be evangelicals, believe that the Bible is a group of myths and maybe has some good teachings, but it's generally not true. Can they be evangelical? I'm, I'm wondering, can they be evangelical to believe that? I don't think so. And the general population, it's 53%. And so it's <laughs> just like, wow. Number two, Jesus isn't the only way to God. And again, I ask the question, can you be evangelical and believe that there are other ways to heaven? Other ways to God other than through Jesus Christ? I don't think so. I don't See, uh, more than half, more than half of those that claim to be evangelical, 56%, affirm that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, up from 42% in 2020. That's universalism. Believing that it's possible to bypass Jesus in our approach to the acceptance by God. It's just, is Jesus, what did Jesus say? I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one no one comes to the Father except through me. No one. Either Jesus is a fraud or he's the truth. Right? And so, uh, again, number two, Jesus isn't the only way to God. I, I can hardly believe this. Uh, number three, Jesus was created by God. Now, a surprising 73% agreed with the statement that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. 73%? Actually, that doctrine is part of the doctrine of the Jehovah Witnesses. 73%. This is a form of Arianism, a popular heresy that arose in the early 4th century. Out of their meeting came, I mean, they, they met together, they were so concerned about this heresy that they met together and they came up with the Nicene Creed which states in part that Jesus was not made, but eternally begotten and one in being with the Father. And the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Number four, Jesus is not God. Well, again, that, fo that, follows, that follows number three quite nicely, doesn't it? Given the above beliefs on Jesus as a created being, it's not... Too surprising that 43% affirm that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. And again, another form of Arian heresy. Um, this effectively denies the divinity of Christ and his unity with God the Father as an equal member of the Trinity. The, remember, these are even people considered evangelical Christians that are answering these questions. Are you surprised? I'm shocked. I'm absolutely shocked. Number five, the Holy Spirit is not a personal being. 63, uh, 60% agree with the statement that the Holy Spirit is a force, but not a personal being. And again, that's a Jehovah Witness um, kind of uh, teaching. Um, this along, I, I mean, uh, it, it's, I, I remember that more people believed in Satan than the Holy Spirit. I remember a few years ago there was a survey that more people believed in, in Satan than the Holy Spirit. Unbelievable. Number six, human beings aren't sinful by nature. Whoa. What? 57% agree to the statement that everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. What does the Bible say about that? 
All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? And, and the wages of sin is death. And, and uh, I mean, we are in trouble apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone sins a little, even jokes. What? Okay, so is the Bible true when it says that before Jesus comes back, there's going to be a great falling away? I think we're seeing it. We're seeing this great falling away. People are believing these, these things that are not from the Scriptures. So, why do I open with such statistics? Because Jesus said there would be a falling away. That's 2 Thessalonians 2, 1-3. to And the data we have for North America clearly shows that that's happening. From a new article um, from Christianity Today, uh, Decline of Christianity Shows No Sign of Stopping by Daniel Silman. This is what he said. The data they do have from 50 years of research by the General Society uh, Social Survey on Pew's own survey of 15,000 adults in 2019 indicates the current trend is inexorable. People are giving up on Christianity. They will continue to do so. And if you're trying to predict the future religious landscape in America, according to Pew, the question is not whether Christianity will decline, it's how fast and how far. The main reason why the decline? Switching is what they call it. Christians deciding they are not Christians anymore. This mostly happens to people between the ages of 15 and 29, according to the report, with an additional 7% of Christians disaffiliating from the faith after the age of 30. From the statistics, it is clear that there is th that this is the falling away and that it's real. Although they didn't have any answers in the article as to exactly why, I believe that there are two main reasons why the, those that were Christians are, are kind of or, or had identified as Christian are falling away. I believe there are two reasons. Uh, number one, because following Jesus had never become personal. It was something maybe their parents did, or maybe it was their environment. It, they never owned it. They never took it for themselves, right? And so um, they didn't immerse themselves in it. Jesus was never the whole pie. He was only a piece of the pie, right? And the good seed of the gospel fell on weed-infested hearts, that means there's lots of competition. Second, and I think this is equally as valid, the world pressure, the culture we live in, the world's pressure. It is easier to swim, uh, is, is it easier to swim against the current or with the current? And so a lot of people take the easy way and just go with the flow. Right? They, don't want, they don't want any fights. They don't want any arguments. And so it's because Jesus is only a piece of the pie. Many have given up pie altogether. I didn't really like pie. My friends are on the why. I mean, <laughs> my friends are on the wide 
They're not on the straight and narrow, which the wide road leads to destruction. And I want to be with my friends. Let's see, is there really a narrow road? Is it really worth it? I'll just hang out with my friends on this wide road and we'll go together. I don't want to be different. I, I just want to fit in. And the pressure, the peer pressure from the world just takes its toll. This is what Paul Washer said. He said, we must not adopt the world's view and then tweak it and make it Christian. We must draw a line in the sand and stand firm in the radical teachings of Christ and his gospel. We must preach the truth and be the examples of the truth that we preach. Amen? Amen. Let's read chapter 1 of the book of Daniel. Only 21 verses. I'm not going to go verse by verse, by the way, that we would be here until 4 o'clock. Okay, starting at verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Aspenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom. You know, kind of like... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I, could, I, I couldn't help it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just, I just, I was just wondering if you're paying attention. Okay, <laughs> okay. And um, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, in whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chal Chaldeans. By the way, I'm terrible at languages, and so that disqualifies me right away. Okay. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, and so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now, from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mesel, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach, to Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs, and the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king, who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? And then you would endanger my head before the king. He, he was concerned that the king would take his head, right? A valid concern, perhaps. And so Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you. 
and the appearance of the young men who eat at the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. And so he consented with them in this manner and tested them ten days. And at the end of the ten days, their features appeared better and fatter and flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus a steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the ten of the days when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And then the king interviewed them. And among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. That's a, quite a story, isn't it? Look at three things. Uh, the world will seek to do these three things. And number one, change your identity. Number two, change your convictions. And number three, test your authenticity. The world's going to uh, test you on those three areas. And so first of all, uh, change your identity. Here's the situation. I mean, we read about it. Babylon had conquered Israel, and they've taken the very best of the land back to Babylon. Um, they've taken, you know, from government, education, religious, you know, the, the future. They basically brought it all to Babylon, all the best that Israel had to offer. They brought it to Babylon. Although this could be viewed as a disaster, it wasn't. It could be viewed as, God, why aren't you doing anything? Why aren't you protecting us? It, that wasn't the case. God was actually preserving them. In fact, God is still on the throne. It was the Lord that gave them up to Babylon. Uh, partly, I mean, because of their disobedience, but also to save them and to educate them, I believe. And so Daniel and his three friends have been taken into captivity and enrolled into a three-year program at the University of the Chaldeans. Okay? And um, their program included learning the language, history, culture, religion. The Babylonians weren't interested in preserving, preserving the Jewish way of life at all. They were trying to assimilate them into Babylon, right? And, all, and, and they were trying to erase and replace it. It was the, the first time we read about cancel culture. <laughs> cancel culture. They were trying to cancel what they had known before. So Babylon is a type of this world. It was the first human kingdom in the Bible, and it will be the last. Babel means confusion, and Nimrod, the first uh, ruler of Babylon, or, or Babel, uh, trying to build the Tower of Babel, if you remember, uh, means to rebel. Um, these are word pictures as to what Babylon and the world is all about. They're, they're, they're rebellion against the Lord, right? And, uh, and there's confusion. And don't tell me there's not confusion in our world today. Our world is so confused in, at every turn. 
we, we could go into a lot of detail about that. 1 John 1.15, we read, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so Babylon and, well, the world and believers in Jesus are diametrically opposed. There's, there's not any compatibility. Right? But here's the thing. We are in the world. We're not to be of the world. Right? That, that's the, now, again, the Babylonians weren't interested in preserving, preserving the Jewish way of life. <clears throat> they were attempting to assimilate their captives into their way of life and into their religion. They attempted to do this a couple of ways. <clears throat> First of all, isolation. The captives were removed from their own environment and put into a new vir- environment. And why are some cults so dangerous? And that's what they do. They isolate their victims into a secluded place and allow them no contact with family or friends. There's no contact. You are now here, and you need to stay here, and you need to concentrate on here, being here and learning. And, 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 and what about our college students, university students? They are taken out of their environment and put into a college environment. The, st- the statistics are scary. Research has revealed that anywhere from 52 to 63% of freshmen who identify as born-again believers when they enter school completely reject their faith by the time they're done. You hear that? Why is that? Isolation. They're taken out of their environment and they're isolated from what they knew. Right? How, I mean, it's, it's just, don't let the world around you squeeze you in its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2 from Philip's translation. <clears throat> Pray for our students. Pray for our students. There's, there is pressure. There's peer pressure. They're taken out of their environment, what they knew, what they practiced, what they believed, and they're put into an environment where many cannot stand. They just kind of melt into it. They go with the flow instead of, it's easier to go with the flow instead of swimming against the stream. Well, the second thing, uh, the second thing, not only isolation, but then there's this name change. I used to lead a song called I Will Change Your Name, written by uh, D.J. Butler. Beautiful words. It uh, makes me think of those who have overcome and, and who are given a new name from the Lord. And here, here are the words to that song. It's a simple chorus. It goes, I will change your name. You shall no longer be called wounded, outcast, lonely, or afraid. How many, of, how many people feel that? That, that the world puts that on them and they feel that intensely I will change your name your new name shall be called confidence, joyfulness, overcoming one faithfulness, friend of God one who seeks my face I love that and so, so one of the ways in order to fight this is to know who you are 
even though that you're put in isolation in maybe a college or even though they want to put some label, some different name on you, right? Oh, you're one of those narrow Christians. <laughs> no. Know who you are. You are a child of the king. And you will overcome. The world will label you. Try to change your identity. Now, the, these uh, Daniel and his three friends were all given new names. They, they, they were labeling them with new names. And they all had to do with their leading gods. All of them. They were changing their names to honor their own gods instead of honoring Jehovah like their names reflected. Daniel means God is my judge. Belteshazzar, I'm just going to pause here after I say this, and you think about this. Lady, protect the king. Okay, that's Daniel's new name. Bell, um, known as the Lady of the Gods, is, is what Daniel was named after. Okay, you don't... Use your imagination. But do you think there's a little bit of, you know, maybe gender confusion in our day? Daniel, whose name means God is my judge or vindicator, to this Belteshazzar. I'm going to go on. Hananiah. Yahweh is gracious. Changed to Shadrach, I am fearful of God. Inspired or illuminated by the sun god. Okay. Um, Mishael. Who is like God? To Meshach, belonging to Shashach, um, and, and that is the, so it, substituting El, which is God, for Shak, which is uh, like the God of the earth, answering to the earth, and, and also connected to Venus, which is kind of the love and laughter God, right? And 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 so then Azariah, Yahweh is my help, to Abednego, servant of the shining fire. Now here, get this, um, fire God. This, from a son to a slave, right? Um, in short, instead of to Jehovah, as their original names indicated, these four sons of Judah were being dedicated to the heathens, by the heathens, to their four leading gods. Bel, the chief god, um, or the chief god's wife, the sun god, the earth god, and the fire god. The Chaldee version of the scriptures translate Lucifer... In Isaiah 14:12, to Nogia or Nego, which which is the same word. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. In other words, they were ultimately giving names that read servant of Lucifer. And so the. Being, they, they were changing their names. They were trying to change their identities. They were trying to uh, honor and worship. They were trying to honor their own gods that were nothing. They were trying to eliminate all of that from Daniel and his friends' lives. Oh, by the way, when I was, 
when I was a young person in Sunday school, and I, I learned what the, the three names that Daniel's friends were um, that changed to, and it was uh, make, this, make the bed, shake the bed, and to bed you go. <laughs> that's, how, that's how I remember their names. And, and there, I, remember, I remember when we were learning this in Sunday school, there was one girl from the community, and she just didn't get it, right? And, and she, she would always go, um, make the bed, uh, no, shake the bed, and then, and then make the bed, and then go to bed. <laughs> she would always go. She never quite got it. Anyway, that's always stuck with me. Is it too much of a stretch to believe that these ancient gods were actually representatives of demons. Is that too much of a stretch to believe that? That they were actually worshiping demons? It's not too much of a stretch, is it? And, and that these demons had specific strategies to confuse and defeat the people of God. If you're interested, you might uh, want to want to pick up a book called uh, The Return of the Gods by Jonathan Kahn. And now I've read some of the reviews on this, and it's, it's actually quite amazing. But um, this is what it says about it. Is it possible that the gods lie behind every form, uh, everything from what appears on our computer monitors, our televisions, and movie screens, to the lessons given in our classrooms, to the breakdown of the family, to work, uh, wokeism, to the occult, to our addictions, to the Supreme Court, to cancel culture, to children's cartoons, to every force and factor that has transformed the perimeters of gender, to that which appears in our stores, on our t-shirts, and on our coffee mugs, to that which is at this very moment transforming America and much of the world. Could it be possible that demons are behind this and these old gods are still here? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why we're looking at Daniel, because we need to stand strong and straight in a crooked world. Well, can you imagine when Jesus comes and the Holy Spirit is taken out of the world? I mean, the Holy Spirit right now in us is, is restraining the wickedness in the world. Right now, the Holy Spirit that lives in us. That we are restraining the wickedness that is yet to come. And when, and when Jesus comes and takes his own and the Holy Spirit with it, all hell will break loose on earth. That's why we need to stay strong. Well, number two, change your convictions. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. First thing I want you to notice is what Daniel didn't do. Daniel didn't point his finger at the world with condemnation on his breath. He didn't pick it in front of the king's kitchen with signs that said, God hates you. He didn't tell them that they were all going to hell for their wickedness. What he did was purpose in his heart to do the right thing. There, it, it breaks my heart when I see somebody standing with a sign that condemns people. God doesn't hate them. God loves them. And we need to show them that love. We don't have to agree with their sin. Don't get me wrong about that. Their sin is sin. 
But you can, I mean, I could draw a line here and, and say, okay, anybody that hasn't sinned, why don't you come or, you know, stand right over here? And it would be empty because we all sin. So uh, what does this tell you about Daniel and his three friends? I, I like to think that this tells me that there's a, there was a remnant in Israel. As much as there was wickedness and disobedience and rebellion in Israel, and that's why God punished them, yet Daniel and his three friends were faithful. There was a remnant. And, 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 that rem- and so there was those that didn't bow down to the idols, who remained true to God, who were men and women with godly character. And, and why could they purpose in their hearts not to defile themselves? Because that's what they've been doing all along. They weren't defiling themselves. And they were genuine. This is the law of the remnant. That even in the worst of times, God always has his remnant that is true, uncompromising. The New Schofield Bible describes Israel's remnant as a spiritual Israel within a national Israel. They are loyal to the word of God and they, um, and they separate themselves from those who would compromise. In the church, this is equally true. In the church, there is a remnant. It is a comparatively small group of surrendered, uncompromising disciples who continue to walk close to Jesus while the majority of their peers live in spiritual lukewarmness. As Jesus said to the woman at the well, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and the Father is seeking such to worship him. This is John 4.23. It's the remnant that will answer the call. Are you willing to gather with the faithful few or run with the religious herd wherever it goes? You might wonder what the big deal is. It's only food, right? Uh, Simply stated, they were being asked to eat royal meats and wines that had previously been offered to their Babylonian gods, right? The, The problem was that the righteous could not obey both God and the king at the same time. Also, the meat was considered unclean and therefore forbidden. Disobeying God would bring a a curse, and and disobeying the king would most certainly bring death. And so they were in a real tough place. Do I obey my God and not partake of this, or do I obey the king and eat this stuff and, and, and live physically, but maybe die spiritually, right? Daniel and his friends refused to compromise. I believe they had a threefold challenge in, in their decision. First of all, compromising was kind of appealing. I mean, I'm sure when they were brought, brought from the land of Judah to Babylon that they were hungry. And they probably weren't treated very well at, because they were captives and they were brought and they probably weren't, they didn't have a lot of food to eat. And here, when they got there, they, they were chosen to be enrolled in the university of, of Babylon. And, and, and they were given everything that Babylon had to offer. No doubt, it was tempting. It was appealing to them. The king didn't want them to suffer. The king had their best interest in mind, by the way. In his mind, he was offering them the very best. The world never understands, does it, when we have to say no to something that looks good on the outside. Right? The world never understands. 
but that's what compromise will do. Number two, peer pressure is relentless. And what do I mean by peer pressure? Um, I, I think uh, maybe a, there were probably those from Judah that didn't have any problem with eating the king's delicacies. And so some of their countrymen would have said, oh, you guys are taking this way too serious. Look at we can relax now. We didn't have it this good back in Judah. Look at it. Come on, you guys. And, and so I'm sure that there were some from Judah that had no problem, but Daniel and his three friends said no. The peer pressure would have been relentless. They're part of that remnant. The pressure from the world can be like that. Again, the world doesn't understand, nor can they because these things are spiritual. In our time, it is especially difficult for young people who want the freedom to drink and party. Everything, everybody's doing it. Why can't, why can't we do that? Why can't I do that? I'm missing out if I don't do that. Even my church friends are doing it. And some, the same could be said with living together before marriage. Who will win? Who will win? Will the church, will, will, will God win or will the world win? Right? Maybe it's to test your, I mean, the peer pressure or God's word. And then number three, blaming God is tempting. Daniel and his friends could have reasoned that it was God that put them in this situation, so why bother to fight it? God, you put it there. You didn't protect us. Why bother? Well, let's just go with it. I can serve God even if I compromise, right? And they may have thought that, right? I, can, I mean, some of them may have thought that. This is a slippery slope. Don't blame God. Instead, ask God what he wants you to learn from this situation. Maybe it's to test your resolve, to test your faithfulness. So, <clears throat> is compromise ever a solution? Well, not when it comes to spiritual things. A hunter raised his rifle and took careful aim at a large bear. When he was just about to pull the trigger... The bear spoke in a soft, soothing voice. Hey, isn't it better to talk than to shoot? What do you want? Let's have a conversation. And so listening, <laughs> a little surprised, the hunter lowered his rifle. He says, well, I want a fur coat. And the bear says, well, good, good. That's a reasonable request. Well, you want a fur coat? All I want is a full stomach. So let's see if we can come to some sort of compromise. And so they sat down to negotiate. And after a time, the bear walked away alone. The negotiation had been successful. The bear had a full stomach, and the hunter had his fur coat. Compromise will kill you. Compromise will kill you. About 150 years ago, C.H. Spurgeon said, I believe that one reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. 
If he said that 150 years ago, I think it's more pressing today. Well, the, the final thing I want to talk about is testing your authenticity. Daniel and his three friends decided to obey God and to trust him to deliver them. They cast their burden entirely on the Lord. No matter the cost, they would trust God. Now comes the test. Daniel, his three friends, had determined in their hearts not to defile themselves. The chief of the eunuchs liked them, but he liked his head on his shoulders too. I think the chief of the eunuchs said, there's nothing I can do. That's kind of what he was saying. Easy to give up at that point. They talked to the head guy, and he said, there's nothing I can do. But, so Daniel approached the staff member that the chief of the eunuchs had made responsible for them personally. Okay? Kind of went above his head a little bit. Right? And said, I don't believe that the, you know, I don't even believe that the chief of the eunuchs knew that this was going on. But he, Daniel suggested, why don't you test us? Can you please test us for 10 days? Just give us vegetables. Now, numbers in the Bible have meanings behind them. The number 10 is often associated with testing. I mean, we've got, all, we've got the 10 plagues in Egypt. That was a pretty big test, wasn't it? We've got the Ten Commandments. That was a test, wasn't it? They were testing whether Israel would obey God or not, right? There was, uh, there was the ten days in the upper room before Pentecost. I mean, they, the disciples were being hunted. They, they were being tested as to, to whether they actually would wait for the Holy Spirit and whether they would be faithful. Um, and so ten is the church in Smyrna, Revelation chapter 2 would suffer persecution for 10 days. And if they overcame, then they would be given new names. Faith being tested in all of these things. And so Daniel said, test us for 10 days. He agreed. And at the end of the 10 days, verse 15 records the results. That they were fatter. (laughs) How is that even possible, eating vegetables? It's a miracle. It was a miracle. God intervened. And they were, actually, I think it could have worked both ways. Food poisoning for those eating the the king's delicacies because it had sat on the counter a little too long. And and the vegetables, God made them uh, work extra good. They had gained weight. I think it was God's miraculous intervention because they had decided to trust God and be faithful. And uh, now, because it was visible after 10 days' test, they were allowed to remain on their diet for the full three years at the University of Babylon. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. This is from 1 Peter 1.7. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on that day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. We are tested. Uh, Kay Warren said that an untested faith is an unreliable faith. I think she's absolutely correct. 
Don't you love the results of the test? When Daniel and his three friends graduated from the University of Babylon, they were found to be ten times better than all of their peers. Ten times better. And uh, God had rewarded their uncompromising faith in him. And so, as soon as we become true believers in Jesus, in the Babylon of our world, we will find ourselves in many uncomfortable dilemmas that force us to choose between loyal obedience to God's word and conformity and compromise to the sins and ways of this ungodly world. Have we made the simple yet profound decision to not defile ourselves with the world's delicacies? Yes, our faith will be tested. And in those tests, if we decide to obey God's word uncompromisingly and trust him to help us overcome the consequences, he will reward us with gifts that will glorify him. Amen. Father, thank you for your word for us today. Thank you for the example of Daniel and his three friends. Um, every day we are tested. Every day there are little things that we have to decide whether we will compromise or we will, we will trust you, Lord. Help us by your Holy Spirit to choose well. In Jesus' name, amen.